Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're here in the room, you're joining us online, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. I'm really glad you're worshiping with us, especially if you're new. Really glad that you are here. And we're in a series, we're looking at this uh, this, this pretty long passage called the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus is kind of talking to his followers about uh, what's going to happen, he's about to die, and about what their life needs to look like after he's, after he's gone. And so we started that last week, and this will carry us all the way through Easter. And, and I, don't, I don't know if I've, how many times if any of you guys heard me talk about this, but um, you know, I've kind of got this reputation now with a lot of people that I'm not particularly confrontational. You know, kind of got a, a peacemaker vibe, not really looking to say controversial things or be controversial, cause problems. And I, I was thinking about this week, like, like if 50-year-old Charlie had to have a conversation with 20-year-old Charlie, because 20-year-old Charlie would, would think that 50, like we've just kind of lost it. Like, like you're weak because 20-year-old Charlie was highly confrontational. And I went to this college where um, I was a math major and I went to this college and it was had a religion department, and I would have, I, w- I considered the religion department to be very hostile to what I believed to be true about God and the Bible and Jesus, and like, and I felt it was like my responsibility. It was like my, it was my, it was my job to kind of confront this. Like we didn't have, we couldn't get a, you had a major in something, but you couldn't get a minor at the time. You can now, you couldn't. And, but if I had, I would have gotten a minor in religion. And it wasn't because I thought they had anything to teach me, but it was because I needed to fight them, right? Because they said wrong things all the time, and they were saying wrong things to people that I was trying to get into Bible study, and I was like, and it was my job to just kind of take them out. And so we come to, I, would go, I would take these classes, and I'm telling you, I look back on it, it's like, the only reason I took them was to, was to fight, like I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't trying to learn anything. I wanted to fight them. And so they would say things and then I would push back and it would turn into this whole brouhaha and other students are heckling me and I'm coming hard at them and, and the professor and the best days were when the professor says, maybe we need to finish this conversation in my office after class. And I'm like, yeah, that is exactly what we need to do. I'm going to take this to your office. I'm going to keep crushing you there. Right. And so we'll just put that over on the side and we can deal with the the psychology of that at a different time. We'll just kind of set that over there. But I would be in these situations all the time. And one of the things that they were trying to convince me of, and we'll give you a couple of fancy words of the day. One of the things they were trying to convince me of is that they were pluralists. And a pluralist, what that is, is someone who believes that there are multiple ways for a person to get to God. There are different religions, different paths that you can choose. And so there's multiple paths between a person and God. You can choose any number of these paths. That's a pluralist. And that was a, that was a positive word. And I was an exclusivist, which you, you, can't, you can't just say exclusivist. Exclusivist, like, which is bad, right? Because you believe that there's only one way to God. So this would be the thing that we would talk about a lot. And, and, and you would hear these metaphors, and I don't know if you've ever heard any of these metaphors or illustrations before, but they would describe like the path to God, like we're people at the bottom of a mountain, and all the people, we're, all the people at the bottom of the mountain are trying to get to the top of the mountain. And if you're at the bottom of the mountain, sure, there might be some better paths up the mountain, there might be some more well-worn, easier paths. But really, if you're at the bottom of the mountain, there are a lot of different paths that can get you to the top. 
And that's how it is. We're all here trying to find God, and we're all going up our own way. Some of us are in the same way, but we're all kind of ending up, and we all end up at the same place, which is top of the mountain. Or a river metaphor. We're all on one side of the river, and we've got to get across because God's on the other side of the river. We got to, how do we figure it out? And maybe there are some well-built bridges that you can get across, or maybe you can get a, on, a, on a big boat, and that big boat will take you across. And maybe you got a little small boat of your own, or maybe you got a, little, a canoe or a kayak, or maybe you're a swimmer. And there's all sorts of different ways for you to get from this side of the river to the other side of the river. And again, we're going about it completely different ways, but we all, that's, that's what I believe. That's kind of been always kind of been my perspective about religion in general, is that's kind of how all these religions work together. And so this would be the nature of these kinds of conversations. And there was a passage, and we're going to be looking at that passage today, that would be kind of the centerpiece on behalf of everyone says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Bro, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what the Father's house is. I don't know what that means. And you say we know the way. I don't, I don't, I don't know. We don't know. We don't, we really genuinely don't know what you're talking about. Because in their minds, again, they were following him to a certain path, a certain outcome. We were going to go to Jerusalem, which is where we are right now. And then, and then, then, then through by some, uh, through a fight or through some supernatural means of some type, you were going to take over and you were going to vanquish the Romans and you were going to be king and then we were going to be right there with you. I understood that path. What you're talking about is someplace I don't, I don't understand. And we certainly don't know how to get there. So this is Jesus' answer, John 14, verse, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, this, this last verse we're going to come back to next week because he's going to explain this a little bit more in this next passage. And we're just going to talk about this thing that Jesus is saying about the connection and the relationship between God the Father and Jesus, the Son of God, and kind of what that means. And when he says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen him, it's like we'll talk about that more in depth, right? So we're going to come back to that. Um, but what he says here, Jesus, like, I don't, Jesus starts like, hey, and you guys know the way. And he's like, we don't even know where you're going. I don't even know where you're going. So how can we possibly know the way? And his response is, he says, I am the way. I am the way. And then he just keeps adding to it. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Which, let's just tie this back to what we were talking about, kind of where we started with the mountain metaphor, with the river metaphor. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Why? Not because he shows the way, not because he knows the way, not because he's the only way, but because he is the way. And I think there's just something really powerful about his wording here when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's something powerful there that I think that when we think about Jesus, we think right things about him, but incomplete things about him. So we're going to kind of take these one at a time and we'll start with the first one, I am the way. And I'll make sure we understand. He doesn't simply show the way. He doesn't simply show the way. He is the way. 
Uh, we don't know the way, and the answer to kind of show me the way, the answer to that is, is a path. It's, it's, it's a drawing. It's a, it's a map. And he doesn't say anything about a map. He doesn't tell them about anything that they're supposed to do. He doesn't tell them anything that they're supposed to believe. He says, I am the way. It is me. And in, in, in another passage in John, he talks about he, he's, he's more of a door. He's a door. He's not a guide. He's not a guide with a map. He's not the Sherpa at the bottom of the mountain taking you up to the top. He is the way. He, it, it is him. He's not a guide. He doesn't have a map. This is not some treasure hunt thing where you have to find the secret map and you got to find, find the thing. You got to go through all the things. I don't know, and he's the one that's going to guide you. It is, it is him. He is the way. So the mountain... And the river metaphors really, if this is what he's talking about, don't even make sense. But to the degree that they do, I think where they really fall short is they underestimate the, the, the treacherousness of the paths up the mountain. Okay, I'm at the bottom of the mountain. Let's give that mountain a name. Let's call it Mount Everest. I don't know how much you know about Mount Everest, but my middle daughter, Lauren, is like had been an expert on this for the last 15 years. She did, she did this project on it when she was in elementary school, and it's just, just, just overwhelms with knowledge. And unfortunately for her, she's here today. So if you have any Mount Everest questions, you can just direct them right to them. She knows a lot of things. And, and she, she talks about this, like, Dad, even the people who train and, and even know the right way to do it, and they go the right way, and they, and, and, and they do all the training, and you do all the right things. It's like, the, it's a little morbid, right? The, it's, the, the, the trail is, is full of bodies, because they can't do it. But imagine you're at the bottom of Mount Everest, and even you see all the people who are training and doing all the things and going the right way with the right guides. They're standing at the bottom. Bro, it's just a mountain. Like, I can see the, I can't quite see it, but I, obviously the top is that way. I can just walk up right here. This path looks fine. I'm just going to walk up the mountain. People who do it the right way, the right path, they, they don't make it. I'm, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to cross this river. And maybe you imagine the Buffalo River and you've been out there on your canoe. I can swim, I can swim across this. I've been on my little kayak and I can get on my canoe and take my kids. It's great. It's great, great. Sure, sure, sure. But what if it's, have you ever been to the Mississippi River? Ever been in the Mississippi River when it's flooding? Bro, you think you're going to swim? You think you're going to kayak across that? It's treacherous. You can't do that. Because what this, what those images, what those images really leave out is the seriousness of what sin is. That sin is like, it's a huge obstacle. It makes the path uncrossable. You cannot, you cannot get there. There is no amount of training that you can do. There's nothing that you can do. No guide can even get you there. I can't, he's like, I can show you how to get there. That's not what Jesus says. It's just, it's me. I'm the way. And it really, if there is a metaphor, it's like, I want to go to the sun. Like you can imagine all the ways in the world. Just get on a rocket ship and fly to the sun. And sure, and, and then you die. But you can't. You cannot go there. And we imagine God as much smaller than that with just easier access than that because we've made a decision too often to think that sin is not a big a deal as God thinks it is a big deal. And forgiveness is the obstacle. 
I need forgiveness. I need redemption. I need restoration. I need saving. The images that the Bible uses to describe what we need are are dead to life metaphors. You were dead, now you're alive. That, That you can do about that. What's the path from death? Truth is found in him. The way is found in him. And as someone, I got a math brain. I've already talked about that. Kind of my approach to the way, the way that I teach, the way that I talk. I always like to kind of end it with like, okay, and here's, now that you've understand this, if you'll just, and this, and this, and this, and you can understand, I want you to understand it. And then you kind of understand, if I understand, then I, can, I do these couple of things to apply it. This is very different than that. And I always kind of feel weird because it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like, like, the, like the normal routine. Because we're kind of putting a really kind of abstract concept out there. That life is found not by following Jesus' advice, but life is, is Jesus. We don't, we don't find the way through Jesus. He is the way. I don't learn truth from Jesus. He is truth that I think too often, like we get to all the, the life advice, the, the how to get rid of sin and what is sin and what is good and what is my life supposed to be. We get to all this part, but we skip this part or we forget this part. We, gra- we think we graduate from it and move to what do I need to do? What do I need to think in order to be a good Christian? And we lose sight of the fact that it is in the very person and the very character, the very nature of Jesus and being in relationship with him is where I find life, where I find hope, where I find truth, where I find the way. They're in his person. And so if that's where life is, then my life needs to be about being connected to him. The last thing that he said to his disciples after he was gone, after he came back to life, he says, and I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. So he is a real living presence in our lives that we can relationally be connected to. And if I put my faith and trust in him and I understand what he did for me, with his sacrifice to bring me to God. And I put my hope and faith and trust in him as the son of God. Then that's where life is. So now it's kind of a good time for kind of just some real spiritual reflection about whether or not, you know, I've just kind of been following kind of religious principles or am I a follower of Jesus? So we've got places in the back for that, prayer candles, a cross where you can pray. There's communion available back there. There's people that can pray with you. You can do it here. You can, as you're standing in worship, you can sit and you can kneel and you can do all sorts of things. Let's take some spiritual reflection about really what is the nature of my relationship with Jesus? Is it functional or is it personal? Let's pray.
God, I know. I, I, to be honest, that mountain metaphor makes sense sometimes. Because I feel like I'm on a mountain. I feel like I'm lost. And I just need somebody to help me get to the next step. And I'm looking to you to just kind of reorganize my life, to, to clean out my closet, to give me the advice I need to be a little bit better. And I've lost sight of who your son is and the relationship and who he needs to be in my life. And so God, I pray for me and I pray for all of us that you would give us that for the first time or you would rekindle it to where our hope, our faith and our trust will be in your son, Jesus Christ. And to the degree that we don't, I'm even really sure at this moment what that means in this moment as we worship. Give us a glimpse, give us a taste. Help us to experience you in a new and powerful way. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.